and you're wondering why is he on the floor and not up on the platform and the reason is very simple I need this message more than you do okay so when I preach there'll be moments I'll preach it and receive it and then preach it and then I'll say I need to hear that and then I'll say that and my wife will be able to tell you this too there are times uh, I come home from dinner or I come home from work and uh, she's making dinner I'm making dinner we, we meet in the kitchen and I'll say what can I do and she says, well you can cut the salad or whatever and I'll say you know this is the trouble I'm going through and I, I boy and then she looks at me like you really need to listen to your own sermons you know just she looks at me I go oh I hope I grow through this because what I'm going to talk about are two things today trouble and temptation trouble and temptation from James 1 now here's the deal any of you ever had trouble in your life oh we got trouble right here in River City starts with T rhymes with P and that stands for trouble no that would be starts with T rhymes with stands for trouble. no not trouble. pool stands for pool you need to watch your movies music man but if you ever been in trouble there are times I want I, I look at Wanda and I say, I hope I grow through this problem I'm facing because we'll actually talk about it while we're getting dinner ready. We'll kind of debrief on our day. She'll go, ah, I'll go, ah, you, you think your day's bad? My life's worse. Go, oh yeah, what about my day? And I just go, you know, I hope that I learn from this because I don't want to, you know, these are like tests that God puts in front of us and they're tests to see if we're ready to advance to the next level because I don't want to go to school, spiritual school and go to first grade, second grade, third, third third, third, third. I want to go to fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth. I want to skip ninth, go to tenth. You know, I, oh yeah, you're making great progress. Move ahead. I don't want to stall out, nor do you. So trouble is, anybody had trouble in your life? This message is for you and me. Now, don't raise your hand right now. Anybody know anybody else who has temptation issues? Not you yourself, but other people, you know? Yes, yes, two hands and a foot. That's where we are today. Trouble, temptation. So God, help us now to hear the word for what it is saying, has been saying, and help us to take it to heart. Keep us from thinking this is for somebody else. And it's for me. I pray that those who hear the word will know it's for them. In Christ's name, amen. We started the series uh, last week with James, half-brother of Jesus. The fact that James even follows Jesus, man, that's a miracle, uh, you know, of proving that not only the divinity but the humanity of Jesus, that, that's an amazing thing. He's a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. As we started the series last week, we learned that it was written to the 12 tribes, which are the kind of 12 different categories or groupings of Jewish people who are not just Jews but believers in Jesus Christ. So he's writing to this diaspora, this dispersed group, because they've been persecuted and they've been scattered for their faith and they're really hurting. So he goes right to verse two by saying, he doesn't take long, consider pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, many kinds of trials. And these guys were in trouble because they were number one, Jewish. They're in trouble for their skin, for who they are. You ever had that happen? I'm in trouble, I can't get away, it's on me, it's all over me, I can't deny it. That's what they were in trouble for. So they would just scatter. Now, they were also in trouble because there were moments in their lives when they would verbalize their faith, and they were in trouble for being Christians, and so Rome would go after them, 
and, and by going after them, and they would scatter, try to hide to get away from it. So these people who've lost their jobs, their families, their property, they're really in deep trouble. And James starts right out by saying, consider this, that it is pure joy when you, when you have this different kind of, this, this variety pack of trouble. What we have to do is this. We have to, number one, recognize that this is opportunity in front of me. Some of us would like to think that, oh, we trust Jesus and my life gets better and better and better. And it's, you know, it always ends with a big orchestral number and we always ride off into the sunset and it's a wonderful story. And, but that's not what the Bible teaches, nor is it the experience of what the Christians of the first generation experience, nor is it what the next 2,000 years of Christianity has experienced. Trouble is a normal part of the Christian life. And God will use trouble in your life. So what you have to do is realize this. I have trouble, but I, this is an opportunity for me. I don't, it's my opportunity to repeat third grade again spiritually, or it's my opportunity to grow. So I want to choose to make sure I grow in this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, verse 2. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And you're saying to yourself, I don't want perseverance. <laughs> I, don't, I really don't care. for. I don't, I don't want it. Yeah, it'll make you stronger and mature, as we'll find out here soon. What I find interesting in the text is this. He says, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials, not if ever, but when. You get this? In other words, it is going to happen. It, this is not a matter of, oh, this is an elective course called trouble. No, you will. This is a mandated course. You're going to grow in maturity. And they are trials of many kinds that ancient manuscripts would, would call it the multi or variegated colors of trouble. It's all kinds of trouble. It comes in every shade you could imagine. When I was a kid, we had a TV. We lived pretty big. My kids don't believe me, but it, it, we had a TV. They even wondered, did we have electricity growing up? But we did. We had a TV, but it was black and white. Anybody else remember black and white TV? Yeah, okay. So you kind of know where this is going. Well, so then my grandparents, I had one set of grandparents who were like filthy rich. I mean, filthy rich. They had a color TV. And, uh, and so we would go to their house like Thanksgiving or Christmas. But here's the problem. The shows on TV were still in black and white. So they had a color TV, but the shows were still black and white until the top of the hour. And at the top of the hour, all the cousins were around this TV to watch NBC, boom, boom, boom. It coming to you in living color and this peacock would bloom. And then about five seconds later, one of my cousins would run in and go, has it happened yet? And we'd say, you know, come back in 59 minutes, it'll happen again. Because we'd watch it forever just to watch this peacock bloom. Is that crazy or what? My kids go, Dad, do you have anything better than that? No, I really don't. That was my high point of my childhood right there, <laughs> watching the peacock bloom in full living color. Then it would go back to Andy Griffith where we were watching McHale's Navy or something, and, and they would go back to black and white again. When James says, you're going to have trouble in your life of many kinds, trials of many kinds, he's saying it's multicolored. It is every color of the rainbow. In other words, you're going to have trouble upon trouble, attached to trouble, different kinds, and when you think you have it figured out, it'll come at you from a different angle because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So know this, John 16, Jesus said, in the world you'll have trouble, you're gonna face trouble. Matthew 6, every day will have its own fair share of trouble. The Christian experience will include trouble every day of your life. It's unavoidable, 
It's unlimited. In other words, it comes all kinds of, and it's unexpected. It's whenever you face trouble. I like the actual King James Version here. Um, a 400-year-old version actually gets it more accurate. It says, whenever you face the kinds of trouble, it's not that you face them, it's that you fall into them. They're like a cliff because you don't see trouble coming. Uh, interesting thing about that word trial here in, in verse 2 and 3 is that it's, it's the Greek word um, that is uh, periates is the word. And we get our, this transliteration of periates that, that com- becomes, through several evolutions, our word for pirate. Okay? And what happens is trouble comes like a pirate coming up alongside your ship. You don't even see him coming. And all of a sudden, out of the smoke, on a, on a misty morning, all of a sudden, oh, I feel the shadow of another ship, and I feel ropes coming over, and you're coming in to take over. That's what happens with the trouble. And the troubles really test us to see if we're ready for the next grade. So the, 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 but the problem is sometimes the trouble hijacks the actual learning experience. Because if you focus on the trouble, you will hyper-focus in shell shock, and you'll miss seeing what really God is up to. So you have to recognize this is a good thing. Consider it joy when you have trouble. In other words, I got to know it's a troubled day. I'm, God is out to grow me in a way. Now, no one in their right mind is going to say, oh, yeah, we got trouble today. It's a good day. It's a good day. Yeah. yeah. No, that, that's, those people aren't dealing with reality. And you don't need to pray for trouble. There are people who do that. I want to grow in perseverance. That's like asking God, give me some problems. I can take it. I'm not man enough to make that prayer. I don't know about you, but I, I figure I'll get enough more of my fair share without asking for more. What I ask for is oftentimes wisdom, to know how to handle the trouble. But what he wants to develop in me is perseverance. What he wants to develop in you is perseverance. So our, our prayer is not get me out of this, God, But God, may I see you in this and may I see the opportunity in front of me. May I see it for what it is. And here's the deal. You don't choose those crosses, those troubles in your life, but you do choose your response to them. So recognize this as an opportunity. Speaking from his experience as a prisoner who survived the Nazi regime of Germany in a concentration camp, there's a Jewish psychologist who I love his writings. His name is Dr. Viktor Frankl. If you ever get a chance to read his stuff, it's really good. He wrote this. Everything can be taken from a human being, but one thing. Now, let me stop there and tell you. They took everything from Dr. Viktor Frankl. He's a professor, teacher in psychology. They took his house, his job. They locked him up, took away his freedom to travel. They took away his wife and his kids. They eventually took away all his clothes except for one set. They even took the rings off of his hands, okay? Now, having said that, everything can be taken from a human being except one thing. The last human freedom is the freedom to choose one's attitude at any set of circumstances. In other words, they can can do a lot of things to me, Frankl said, but they can't choose what's going on inside me. I choose that. You don't choose your crosses, you just choose your response to them. Number two, look for what God is up to in your life. So let perseverance finish the work, that you'll be mature, complete, not lacking anything. Now, we all want to be mature and complete. By the way, mature is a word James uses more than any other writer of the New Testament or the whole Bible uses. 
He uses the, the word mature more than anybody else. It means to be grown up or confident about life and have good perspective, be emotionally stable, and to be complete, thoroughly equipped to every good week, work, no holes in our lives, in our personality or our soul. It's the path to perseverance. He's saying perseverance has to finish that work in you so you're mature, so you're this piece of beauty and you're complete. And so we hang on through the trouble, but James is saying, no, God is up to something good. Look for what God is up to. Now, most churches, I, I don't know if I should say most or not, but many churches would rather tell you, trust Jesus and follow la 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 la, have a happy life, right? And be warmed and filled and have a good day. Because they'd rather give this kind of positive male attitude message, but they don't really include Jesus in that. That's the problem. Honestly, I want to feel good, and given the opportunity, I'd rather lift you than step on you. But the reality is, suffering is a part of our life and part of the development of the perseverance in our lives. James tells us that, but so does Romans. Paul writes it in Romans chapter 5, if you're taking notes. We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering will produce perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. We all want hope. We all want character, right? We just don't want to go through the perseverance because we know that means trouble. See? But that's the pathway to it. Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4. Again, 1 Peter chapter 1. In all this you greatly rejoice, even though for a little while you have to suffer, and he says it again, all kinds of troubles and trials. Sometimes the best thing in your life, get this, best things in my life came from the darkest moments of my life. You ever felt that? But you have to get away from it, you have to back up. And it goes back to the kitchen island where I'm cutting salad or pouring water while we're fixing dinner. I go say to Wanda, I hope I grow through this because I don't want to go first, second, third, 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 third grade. I want to move to fourth, fifth, sixth. See, I, I don't want to be stuck. I hope I grow through this. And in, in some of the greatest moments of advancement in your own spiritual, emotional life are going to be not that you love suffering, but that you see God in it, producing it something like gold, like that's what Peter said. That end result, your faith is more precious than gold. So how are you going to do that? You're going to ask God. That's certainly, you just have to ask him for help because you want his perspective. We'll try everything else before we just go to God and say, okay, God, I've tried everything else. There's nothing left to do but pray. Have you heard that? Have you heard that? I've, I've been in meetings where we, we've tried everything. All we have left is prayer. Oh, you mean tapping the Almighty? Yes. Oh, yes. We saved that one for last. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we go to God and ask for help. If anyone lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously without finding fault. And so we ask God, I need wisdom. And what does it say? He says, he gives, what's it say, class? Generously. Another translation says liberally. It's like he lathers it on. In fact, he gives you the wisdom you asked for, and then he goes, oh, you're going to need more than that. You don't even know what you need. And he gives you even more. And here's the amazing part. We would go, have you ever had this where you go to ask a favor of somebody, and, or they ask a favor of you, and you go, of course, I'd be happy to help, or to do or to loan you or to hand you or to whatever. You're more than happy to, to help out. But you didn't know until they asked you. You're more than happy. That's the way God is. God never stands in heavens with his hands on his hips going, Huffman, wisdom again? It's the third time and it's only noon. I mean, how many more times are you going to come back here today? 
And then it says a weekend. You know this is time and a half, right? <laughs> he doesn't do that, does he? Not with me. He may do that with you, but he doesn't do that with me. He goes, Huffman, I'm glad you're back because you need more than you know. <laughs> I'll give you more wisdom, more than you can handle, but we'll see what you do with it, you know. He never scolds you for wisdom. You get this, he offers it to you generously and he does it without finding fault. He goes, oh, you are such a fool. He doesn't do that. He goes, no, I'm happy to have you give you this wisdom. Yeah, like a father who loves his children. Remember, I, there are moments with my dad who's now in heaven where I'd be in the driveway, just you know, early marriage life or whatever, we're doing something in the house and, I'd go over to the house. I'd say, can I borrow some? You know, you'd take every other tool out of my garage. Go, you know, I'll bring it back someday. <laughs> Maybe not. But you know, tell the brothers they can come to my house to get your stuff. But he, he would loan me stuff. He'd stand in the driveway. You're going to need help. You know, and he was happy to help because he's a dad. Do you get that? That's what you have in your father in heaven. He, he wants you to succeed. So he... He not only gives you generously, but he does it without finding fault. And, and so our prayer is, oh God, I want to learn this well, but I want to grow to be wise, but I need your help, which leads me to number four, so just keep the faith and keep a good attitude. And those two words are key. They're kind of kissing cousin terms, faith and attitude. Sometimes biblical scholars actually use them interchangeably, and because they're so linked to body, to soul, to spirit. You know that, right? I mean, what you tell your head is what your heart believes. And so when you ask, you must believe without doubting. So you, when you ask God for wisdom, ask without doubting because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, verses six and seven. And blown and tossed by the wind, that person should not receive anything from the Lord. He, he, he creates this picture of, whoa, you're in, the, you're in a boat that's like throwing you out. So don't ask like that. Ask like, I need this. I believe you're gonna provide it. And I'm asking not to get out of the trouble, but I'm asking for wisdom. Believing without doubt will change the posture and your mindset. Sometimes we need to even say it out loud. You need to hear yourself say it. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say it, rejoice. You know, let, I was glad when they said to me, let's go to the house of the Lord. You, to say stuff out loud to hear yourself say it. Because if you don't, you'll tell yourself another story. You'll say another thing in your little head. Like, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. What? I guess I'll go eat worms. Yeah. Anybody know that song? Sing that song? Yeah. That's what will go through your head, right? I was looking at that song thinking this week because I thought, I, I don't even know that song. So I got online, which is a dangerous thing to do. Big, fat, juicy ones. Incy, wincy, swincy ones. See how they wiggle and squirm. This song gets worse. I, I remember that song being disgusting, but it is nasty. But that's what you begin to tell yourself. And that becomes the truth for you because that's your reality if that's what you're telling yourself. You have to be careful what you tell yourself. I remember a few years ago being in a small group once, one night and I, I leaned over when the guys were just guys by themselves. We're just guys. I can tell you this. You shouldn't tell stories out of a small group, but you should be in a small group. But I'm going to tell you my story. I just leaned over to a guy in my group and said, uh, I'm not telling myself good stuff right now. He said, what are you, what are you doing? I said, uh, there's a thought that keeps going through my head, like you're like the dumbest guy in the county. 
like stuff that you're doing right now and like why do you do this and what's the end effect and he goes that's not healthy you gotta stop that and he goes number one you're not the dumbest guy in the county because my my brother's in town this week and <laughs> but you need to clean that up because he's not here for long he's only here this week thank you for that vote of confidence that's why i'm looking for a new group right now but anyway but you can't be telling yourself that stuff it will cycle in your head and you'll begin to act on it. That isn't good. Healthy as we'll see. And that's why it's so essential that you memorize some scriptures because you won't always have a word with you, a Bible with you. You've got to have them in your heart. That's why you have to hide God's word in your heart. Why? So you won't sin against the Lord. So you don't let yourself down, let God down. Verse 12, a great one to memorize. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because... Having stood the test, when you persevere, when you hang on, having stood the test, the person will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. You just hang, you just hang on. The Lord will give you, you have to look at the crown, not the problem. Lord, I'm struggling with this. I want to love on you, but I know you love me more than I love you. And, and, and you have to do that with the trouble because you're going to have troubles in life. Now, let me stop there and say this. That's not the end of the sermon. That's not the end of the message because it, it gets way worse from here because you're going to always have trouble. But you have to know God is out for something good. You have to look for that. You have to ask for his help. Hang on, learn perseverance, okay? Because you're going to have trouble in life. But you have to know too, there is someone out to take you under. He wants to hold your head under the water. He wants to take you out. He wants to humiliate you, ruin your faith, and shackle your life and ruin your future and ruin your dignity and, and take a lot of other people with you along the way. His name is Satan. He's not fictitious. It's not just a memory or a thought or a concept. It's a real person who wants to take you down. And the way he does it is with temptation. Verse 13, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Recognize the source of the temptation is Satan, and he is tempting me. It, no one should say, he is setting, and this is the term that um, James uses, he is setting a lure. If I'm not a fisherman. I have some fishing equipment, but I, I was going to bring it and show you some lures, but I didn't want you to get the impression that I actually fish, because I'm, I'm no good at fishing. I, I, I tell you how good at fishing I am. I am as... I'm really good fishermen in a boat when I have great fishermen in the boat because they make me better. But I'm pretty bad fishermen. I feed a lot of fish, a lot of worms, but I don't catch a lot of fish. Okay. Here's what I do know, though. It takes a lot of lures. And what does Satan do? He doesn't give you a lure. What does he give you? He gives you 100 lures. You have to recognize that's from Satan. And understand, he is out to take you under. He wants to pull you out of the boat, snag you, hook you, take you down. And right now you're saying to yourself, I got temptation all the time, and most of it doesn't even bother me. That's the point. That's the point. Satan will put 100 out there, and 50 of those sins just repulse you. You wouldn't even think about that. That's awful. That's gross. Would never do that. But those 50 are gone. But the next 25, well, they're bad, but I can kind of live with them. And the next 10, yeah, I kind of like those. And how many does it take for you to get hooked and pulled? One. And that's all he's playing for, is that one. 
See? And he'll harvest you and not think a thing of it. So recognize the source of that. When you are tempted, not if, but when you are tempted. And don't think that you're above it because you think, oh, well, I'm, you know, once I got to 40, it doesn't seem to bother me anymore. I, my life's perfect now, or whatever, or I'm indestructible. No, you're not. Dr. James Dobson from Focus on the Family says there's two kind of men in the world, men who lust and liars. Uh -huh. Okay then. Let me see what else is on the channels. <laughs> either, either you lust, you struggle with temptation, or you lie about it, is what he's saying. That's just that simple. So understand the process but each person, verse 14, is tempted when they're dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. I'm going to give you a fivefold thing here. Then after that desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, gives birth to death. It's going to kill you. So here, here are the five. Number one, temptation. It's just all the hooks in the water, all the baits, all the kinds of stuff, Okay? And it's out there, it's online, it's on TV, it's in the radio, it's in the music, it's in the ads. Even if it's just to teach you discontentment. You notice what I mean? It doesn't even have to be blatant sin. There are times when one and I will just turn the TV off because even, even though it's just like a home improvement show, it doesn't matter. It's just, it's making me discontent with what I already have. I don't need that. I don't need that kind of help in my life. There are times that we just, you have a mute button on your I call it the stick. My kids say, no, Dad, it's called a remote. Okay, a remote stick. We just mute stuff, because I don't want to hear it. I don't need it. I don't need anybody fanning the flames of discontent in my life. That's really what the ads do. That's the temptation. Then you, then you fantasize about it. That's the next stage. My life would be better if, and the grass is always greener on the other side because you're further away, and you don't realize how much watering it takes. It takes a lot of... Yeah, you're going to get over there and you're going to wish you could come back, you know. You know, what do people, old people say about days gone by? They call them not the horrible days of the past. They call them the good old days. They wish they could go back. And that's the way it is with fantasy. And the, the issue, Matthew chapter 6, Jesus put it this way, the eye is the lamp to the body. So watch your eyes, watch where you're going, watch where your mind goes, watch what you're thinking about, watch what your mind dwells on, if you go to the drinking fountain and a certain someone from your office is always going there at the same time, if you ponder at a desk, if they're pondering at yours, you're always going to lunch together, but, but uh, you always end up in the car together, whatever it is, that's an enticement that then becomes a piece for fantasy that you always think will be better, and it's not. It's not. If you think, oh, I can always pinch a little bit out of the till, I'll pay it back later, I'll get most of it back, that's enticement, that's fantasy, that's going to lead to death, okay? If you think, uh, I can play with and pick the sin of your choice, you know, just play that thing out. The third stage is not so innocent acts of playing with sin. You can get really close to it. And the eyes are a huge issue because then you're emotionally connected. And this, the scriptures say this, I love this, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, flee. Get away from it, sexual immorality. Just get away from it. Run, it's like a woods on fire. Don't think, oh, I could stomp some of this out. No, 
No, the trees will come down on top of you. The best thing you can do is run and not look back. Okay? So flee it. If you're in doubt of that, or you're thinking, well, I'd rather have something a little more direct, then 2 Timothy chapter 2, the Apostle Paul gets even better. Flee the evil desires of youth. <laughs> Just get away from it. Run. Don't even think about it. You see, you're saying, well, I could lose my dignity in the process. Good, you got your life. You lose your dignity, but you keep your life. Get away from it. Otherwise, you will be a trophy on Satan's wall like that fish that got caught. You'll be stuffed and shellacked over his fireplace. That's the end result. If you keep playing with the sin, you think, oh, I can always do this and get close to the edge. Eventually, you will step into it, and then you'll be in trouble. And, and so the righteous, and, and here's the deal. The righteous will fall seven times, the scripture says, but the Lord is always faithful. He always will forgive. It's a wonderful thing that if you do sin. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. Now, and I'm telling you this because some of us right in the room are caught in a sin and you don't know how to get out. You think God's mad at me. God is not mad at you. He is grieved. He is in pain with you and he is in sorrow with you. But he wants you to come to repentance, a change of mind. He wants you to get off the hook, if you will. And he sympathizes with your weaknesses. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16. Memorize this, take it to the bank. This ought to be on the dashboard of our lives. Let us then approach the th God's throne of grace with confidence. Isn't this what it is when you sin? When you go to the throne of grace, you go, oh God, do you have confidence? No, you don't. Why? Because well, he's probably mad at me. That's exactly what Satan wants you to believe. That keeps you away. That keeps you at distance, see? So let us go with confidence to the throne of grace so that we, we, we may receive mercy and grace and find help in the time of need. So when you realize I have this need, that's the time to go to the throne of grace. And he says, I will help you through this. I'm the God of mercy and the God of grace. You say, well, I thought you were the guy who's honked off. No, that's what Satan wants you to think, Okay? Judgment day is coming, but you can avoid that if you just come to the throne of grace and just say, oh, God, I blew it. I need wisdom. I need forgiveness. I need wisdom. Help me with this. Pull me out of this. Because if you do not do that, what's going to happen is there's going to be temptation. You get through most of it. Then you start to play with it. Then you think, oh, I'm indestructible. And so then you begin to play with sin, and then you actually step across into sin, and that leads to death. It's relational death. It is emotional death. It's physical death. It's uh, financial death. It, you pick the kind of death it is, okay? But you play out that sin, and it will eventually mean that there seems a way that seems right to a guy. Why is that? Well, because he's thinking all messed up. And what does that lead to? There's a way that seems right. What does it lead to? It leads to death. That's what the Proverbs say. Now, about this time, you're saying, oh, wow, it's awfully quiet here. And uh, not many people amening this. And I'm here all alone, so I'll turn this around. I, you, you just need to know that it's that way with everybody. No, nobody gets a pass on this. You play this thing out, and it will take you down, and it, it, your only way out is to flee, to get away from it. And so that means you go into your office tomorrow morning and say, I need to transfer my job. You say, well, that's a lateral, and I won't get uh, the advancement on the job I like. It's that, or would you like your life shipwrecked? 
Or would you like to be hooked? Or would you like death in the relationships? Or, would you, or whatever it is, wherever it plays out. So you say, I got to get away from this. So you find a way to restructure your life. And if you cannot do that, and for certain, resist the devil. And the scriptures say he'll flee from you. But ask for God's help and his grace. And that's what it means to understand the process. Now, number three, real quickly here. You have to learn how to overcome it because you don't want to be deceived. Don't be fooled in your thinking, my dear brothers and sisters, verse 16, now 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. This sounds like he's kind of on a different subject, but he's not. He's on the same subject. He says, don't kid yourself. Don't fool yourself. Don't be deceived. Good is not bad. Bad is not good. Have you ever fooled yourself into thinking something? Anybody? Yeah. You just think, oh, I could do this, you know. And, oh, no, you can't. You just can't. Have you ever been sick? And then you think, well, you know, if I shave and shower and take a little Benadryl, I'll be good. You ever done that? And, but you got like 103 going on, and you know, you're, you're all clammy. No one wants to be around you. And you, So you shower and shave, and about that time, you know, your spouse walks in, and you're like huddled in a little mass in the corner of the bathroom because you're too tired to get dressed, you know. And they say, get yourself up and get back to bed. You know, what were you thinking? Because you tell yourself something that isn't the truth. You think, I can do this, but you can't. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Don't fool yourself. Tell yourself the truth. And the truth is this. There is no temptation taking you. This is another one to memorize. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. There is no temptation taking you, but what it is common to man. But God is faithful, who go with you into the trial. He'll give you a way of escape so you're able to stand up. He says, there's no temptation taking you, but what it is, what? Say it. Common. You get this? You're saying, give me a sin. Someone give me a sin. Not yours, but someone else's. Lying. So you walk into your friends, your small group, and I got a real problem. I got this. I'm hooked on lying. I just love to lie. I, I, in no reason at all, I just lie. I'm, I'm addicted to lying. But I have it worse than anybody else. That's the temptation, right? My penchant to lie. No one understands how bad the you know, the, and you know what it is? No temptation taking you, but what it is, common. You're not alone in this. You're not alone in this. There are other liars in the world, and they'll survive, and you will too, but you have to tell yourself the truth. What you have is common to man. Okay, you didn't want to hear that, and I didn't want to say it, because when I'm going through temptation, it is a big deal to me. Right? And when you're going through it, it is the absolute worst. Right? Right? That's because major surgery is surgery on me. Minor surgery is surgery on you. You know, I could have a splinter in my hand because I, I used a rake in the yard, got a splinter and a little blister. And boy, it's a killer. I'm not sure I can go to work tomorrow. But you just got out of the hospital from open heart surgery where they cut you open, took a hacksaw, and ripped your rib cage open, pulled your heart out, did a roto-rooter on two or three bypasses, put it all back together, and put you back in. And that's major surgery. You're going, yeah, but I've got this splinter, and it is killing me. I'm not sure I can go to work tomorrow. Because it's major, because it's my pain. Does that make sense? Your pain, that's your, <laughs> yeah, that's just open heart. I mean, they, 
They have stitches for that. This, there may be no cure. It's a splinter for crying out loud. Maybe calling the prayer circle here soon. Have them lay hands on me. Because you think my temptation is so bad, right? Don't we do that? My pain is the worst. Have you heard this before? People talk about it with a flight. How's your, how's your flight? You went on vacation. It was the worst. Did you fly through the air? <laughs> yeah, but we were 20 minutes late. Yeah, and 100 years ago, people would have died making that same trip. I mean, you know, Niagara Falls is three weeks away by a wagon, you know, and you were 20 minutes late. Oh, boy. I got all kinds of sympathy for you. <laughs> I just can't. I don't know. You know, it's just the way our lives are, aren't they? Yeah. And, and we're just, we're spoiled because it's all about us, see? And what God is doing is he's working on perseverance in us. So the way you overcome this is to realize the temptation I have is common to man. And so... Let me give you four things just to work on. One is just run when you're in that temptation. Get away from it. Flee. But then secondly, don't think you can walk so close. Don't think that you are indestructible. And to, to particularly youth, young people, I say this to you. Because you think, ah, oh, I can get out of this or I can do whatever and it'll be fine. There are, most of the time that's true. Because you have better reflexes and you're better at this. And better than you're smarter and quicker wit and so most of the time that's true but there'll be times in your life that's not true so don't think you can always run it to the limit i'm reminded of a story of a stagecoach owner during the early days of the development of the u.s i think the guy was in colorado somewhere but that the guy ran a series of stagecoaches and he needed to hire a new because uh, he got another wagon and wanted to hire an, uh, a new driver and so he says, you know that cliff outside of town that drops off about 50 feet? How, how close can you run the horses parallel to that cliff running alongside without any danger? And the first interview guy said, I can do it within 10 feet. I can hold those horses. I can control them pretty well. Well, the, the first guy steps off. He says, thank you. He interviews the second guy. He says, how far do you think you can go? He'd heard 10 feet. And he said, I can, I can do it in five. I can really get close to that edge. <laughs> and still control the reins of the horses. And he said, thank you, it's, you're a pretty good driver. The third one walked up and said, he'd heard five feet, so he said, I think I can do it within a foot. I'm that good, I'm really that good. He said, thank you, I'll get back to you. The fourth guy walked up and he said, how close can you get to that ravine, that cliff edge? He said, I don't go anywhere close to that cliff edge, I'll kill you. He said, you're hired, <laughs> you're hired. You don't have to go close to the cliff edge. You don't have to play with sin. You can run from it. And you won't miss anything. You won't miss anything. In fact, you'll miss stuff if you choose to be ensnared by stuff. It, it makes it that much harder because you missed out on life. And so flee it. Don't walk so close to the line. Counter the temptation. This is something I, I just, with the word of God, I just I look for scriptures that help me in particular, and you're going to find some favorites. But then develop healthy relationships, kind of like I was talking about with small groups and just some accountability, because you have to rip out the old idea, but you can't just rip out the old idea. You have to replace it, get this, with a new idea. It's a biblical concept, but it's a replacement therapy kind of thing, if you will. You have to rip out the old man, insert the new. You have to rip out the wrong thought, put in the new thought. Have you ever weeded the garden and then you come back and there are weeds again? 
But if you actually grew flowers or vegetables or something, you actually, that actually controls the weeds if you put something in its place. So not only do you need to weed, but you need to cover it with something good. It is that way with your mind. You can't just rip out a thought. And that's why most recovery groups, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but in the U.S., a lot of recovery, like alcohol, drug addiction recovery groups, are on Friday and Saturday nights. Do you know why? Because those are drinking nights. Those are shooting up nights. And they're saying, well, I don't do that anymore, so then I have to find something else to do that night. That's an okay thing. That's a good replacement. Okay? So... So run from it. Don't think you can, you can stand really close to it. Counter it with the word of God and then develop the healthy relationships where they actually challenge you to think differently. And then finally, just here's the point. If you get nothing else, if you haven't taken a note yet, here's your pants right here. Just know that God created you for so much more. He chose us before birth to give us birth through the word of truth, that's Jesus himself, the living truth, and then the word of truth, the printed page, the Bible, that we'd be kind of like a first fruits. He's saying, you are the first fruits. You are special before him. You're the crowning work. You're like the first family. Just know that you don't want to succumb to the troubles of life, nor do you want to succumb to the temptations. You don't want Satan taking you down either. Why? Because God created you for so much more. And if you can get that in your head, you play that one out, you'll play well, okay? For I know the plans I have for you. The weeping prophet wrote this. God gave him this word. Plans to prosper you, to give you hope and a future. The prophet Jeremiah. And then from Ephesians chapter two, for we are God's handiwork. You're a piece of beautiful art of the Lord's. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You were made for something good, not self-destruction. You were made for something great. God created you for so much more. Don't let trouble get you off track. Don't let temptation take you down, okay? All right, let's bow for prayer, would you? And let's, uh, let's stand as we pray. Some in the room right where we stand. You just would say, I, I, I don't have a lot of hope because I don't have Christ. I need Christ in my life. And right where you're standing, you just you invite Christ into your life to be your savior from your sin. Just tell the Lord that. Just I need, I need Jesus in my life. I trust him now. Some of us in the room with our heads bowed and our eyes, because I'm not going to ask for any response from anybody, so don't, don't think I'm going to do something uh, unethical or or change up on you. I just need you to get serious with God about the trouble you're in. And some of us just need to be asking God, God, these are troublesome names and it's heavy and it's lonely and God, I need to change my mind about this. I need your hope and I know that's only going to happen if I persevere. So please develop the character within me that I need. Please help me to see you're out for my good because this hurts. It's okay to tell him that too. Some of us in the room just say, God, I am hooked on a sin and I cannot get unhooked. And it's tearing me up. And even your own admission of it, standing where, you're, where you are right now, is, that's a step forward, just to confess that to the Lord. Cry out to God, God, help me. Help me to un, undo that habit and to start a new habit. Because I know I'm a creature of habits, Lord, just... Help me to, to not see myself in a shameful kind of secret way, 
but define myself instead as a new creation in you. Help me to flee that stuff and start some new habits. Create in me, and my prayer is David's prayer, a new heart. Create in me a new heart and restore to me the joy of my salvation. Help me see that I was created for so much more and you want that so much in my life. May we see, Lord, that you are out for our good and may we be out really for your glory. We pray this in the strong, risen, victorious name of Christ our Savior and Lord. And the church resounds with amen. Amen. amen.